Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about tips for higher yields in soybeans. But quite frankly, most of these tips are going to apply to just about any crop that there is. If you've got any questions about our topic today or anything that's going on in your farm, I'd love to take your phone call. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so when I start thinking about how to raise higher yielding soybeans, let me just tell you a little bit about our history on our own farm. If I go back even, I'm going to say 15, 18 years ago, our soybean average stunk. It was upper 30s probably. Here are the two big things that changed our yield. Number one was drain tile, and number two was fertility. First of all, on the tiling thing, we have not all of our ground, but a lot of our ground has rolling hills. We have some river bottom ground that's flat and super heavy. But anyway, I'm not saying we had to go in and pattern tile in all these fields or anything like that. But here's the the big thing that I want you to think about. Soybeans, on average, have about one-fifth the root mass of corn. Just think about that. One-fifth the root mass of corn. So if we have any damage at all to those roots, it's a big thing. If I damage a little bit of root, in effect, it's like five times the hit that it would be damaging a little bit of root in corn. So this is why we want to make sure that we're keeping that water table down with drain tile. And then the other thing along with that is it also helps keep the salt levels down. Salt is really hard on soybeans. There are other crops that will tolerate salt a little better. So we often talk about barley and some of the small grains that will handle salt better. Corn even will handle salt better than soybeans, but soybeans just don't handle it well. So it was kind of a combination of we had to flush some salts out. We had to lower the water table, at least in certain areas. And so this made a big difference. The other big thing, like I said, was fertility. And really, if you want to talk about one specific nutrient, it was potassium. 15, 18, 20 years ago, a lot of the potassium levels on our farm were at 1% to 2%. That's it. 1% to 2% base saturation potassium. And you will often hear people talk about, oh, you've got to have a minimum of a certain amount of pounds per acre or parts per million. Uh, That's true. But there's one more step that they're missing. You've also got to have that potassium in ratio with everything else in your soil. And the way you can very, very simply see what that ratio is, is by running a base saturation test. That just shows you calcium, magnesium, hydrogen, sodium, and then potassium. So in other words, what's the ratio of potassium to those other nutrients? What we're looking for here is a minimum of 4% on the base saturation test. So we will often talk about 4 to 8%. That's what we want to see. When you're at 1 to 2%, Here's what's going to end up happening. Number one, you don't have as much yield potential, especially with soybeans, because soybeans at their peak. So if I'm talking about a great crop of soybeans versus a great crop of corn, at the peak, on a per day basis, soybeans will take about twice the amount of potassium out of the soil as corn. Twice. Twice. I'm not saying every day out of the, the whole year, but I am saying at certain times. And that t- those times are basically flowering and and potting in soybeans. So that's when they need a ridiculous amount of potassium. 
Now, to compound that, I want you to think about this. We, on average, only get 20 to maybe 24 total inches of precip over the course of all 12 months of the year. So that includes the snow, that includes the rain that hits when we don't, ha when we don't have a growing crop. What I'm trying to say is we're in a dry area of the United States, and we're also dealing with a lot of heavy soils. So when we have that, we can't very easily get potassium into the plant. We have to make sure that not only do I have pounds per acre and parts per million, but I have those pounds per acre and parts per million in ratio with everything else, meaning I've got to have K levels 4 to 8%. So as soon as we started bumping our potassium levels, our soybean yield started going up. When you talk about fertilizing with K, though, a lot of people will do it with potash. That's generally the cheapest source to quickly build K levels by a long ways. The problem with potash, again, what, what was I just saying? We're in a dry area, we got heavy soils, and to make things even worse, we're really cold. So the potash typically breaks down over about a three-year period. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And I know it's frustrating because you say, well, I spent the money and I want the response now. Yep, you do, but you're not going to get it. That's why we talk about supplementing low-K fields with liquid potassium sources. Like on our farm, we use a product called SureK. We're using that in every crop. But if we really want to build, we want to do it with dry, and it's just going to take some time. So anyway, my point here is my top two things on our farm were tiling and fertility namely potassium. Now there were other things we had to get in balance too. In some cases it was a pH, a little bit of pH correction and you know some other nutrients like let's call it manganese, sulfur. I mean there 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 were there were many things that we had to address, but tile and potassium were one and two on my list. Now, on the other side of things, I would say weeds, insects and diseases. Now that's something that Darren and I, for years, I mean, we're the weed of the week guys. So we were doing a pretty good job with weed control and pretty good with insects. We just never had sprayed a whole lot of foliar fungicide prior to about 15 years ago. And let's see, I believe the year was 2007. And we ran headline and we did it on quite a few acres. And then we left some check strips basically. And we had one field where the yield difference was 14 bushels to the acre. And I'm going, and I was out in the combine. If I wouldn't have been, I'm pretty sure I would not have believed it. But you could see it right to the line, and it was a big, big deal. So prior to that, we like I was saying, we just hadn't done a lot of spraying of fungicides. Since then, we've been spraying fungicides at least once, if not twice, on every soybean crop that we raise. Not often, but occasionally we've done three shots where we're really worried about white mold. So anyway, whether it's white mold, whether it's some other disease that you're worried about, um, insects, weeds, tiling, fertility, we're going to get into a lot of different things in terms of tips for higher yields in soybeans and many other crops as well. So stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low moisture beans to 13% can add semi loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're just talking about tips for higher yields in soybeans, but these same things apply to most crops as well. So first on the show, we got one of the best soybean producers that we know. It's Matt Miles with Extreme Ag from down in Arkansas. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing well, Brian. How about you? Excellent. All right, so Matt, I'm sure you could talk to us all day long about raising higher-yielding soybeans, but maybe give us just the two or three big things that you would say on your farm that took your yields from good to great. Well, I mean, to, to, to narrow it down, uh, of course, you know, and, and this is pretty basic, but, but drainage, is a, drainage is key one, uh, drainage and fertility. Those are probably the two biggest. Uh, if you get those two things right, then uh, you know a lot of other things, a lot of other positive things will follow behind that. Uh, behind that, you know, uh, planting date and variety selection, and then I mean, I guess you know I could really keep going on just tr- crop right. protect, crop protection, relieving stress. I mean, put all those. I know that's more than three, but <laughs> but it takes all of those to really to really, you know, and paying attention to the soybean and and and. And, you know, actually using it as one of your primary crops, you know, we're so guilty in the past of, of soybeans being one of our, you know, crops that we don't pay as much attention to. But if you give it the love and care that you would your corn or your, or your cotton, it, it will, it will make you smile just like they will. Yep. I feel exactly the same way. I want to go back to, you mentioned the, the first two things were drainage and fertility. Those were also my first two things I was talking about in the open of our show, but with fertility, what was the biggest thing you had to fix on your farm for fertilizer so your soybean yields got a lot better? Well, of course, we had we have to make sure our pH is right, and and you know all of us in the different areas uh, are affected by pH different. I think y'all yep. are more high pH. Right. You're looking to lower it, and we're lower pH looking to to increase it. So, yep. you know, you you've got to get your calcium right, your cow mag right. Uh, we're still we're continually working on that all the time. Uh, to make any of the other 
nutrients work. But, you know, I mean, we want to – if you look at y'all's removal chart, which is probably the best removal chart that I've ever used, uh, if you start pulling high yields, you better be put, putting back what you pulled out. Yeah, Matt's referring to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. It's a free download for your phone. So, Matt, let's come back to that pH thing. What do you think the right pH is for soybeans, or what kind of range are you shooting for on your farm? We're we're looking at anywhere from a six two to a six seven, uh, as as far as pH. If it if it gets below, uh, we used to be if it went below a six point we would start looking at an application of of a lime. But now we're more in the six two range just to kind of keep that uh you know that's our low side yep. and of course you know if you get much over the six seven to seven you know you start adversely affecting some things there so that's that's kind of where we think we need to be you know to produce a good soybean let's talk about that crop protection side that you mentioned i was talking earlier in the show about fungicide on our farm how often are you spraying fungicide on soybeans on your farm we're an automatic R3 application, uh, disease present or not present. The plant health aspects of putting a good quality fungicide on at that R3 range uh, will save you a lot of trouble if you did have any disease. And if you don't, if you don't see any disease present, there's probably something there that that fungicide will help with just as a, as a plant health aspect. You know, that's just a normal part of our production practices and has been for the last 15 years. All right, and then how about that planting date thing? I, you mentioned that. I've talked to a lot of farmers about that in the last few years. Just go, It seems like it's going earlier and earlier. Is that kind of what your thought is, is just plant the beans as early as you can? It absolutely is, Brian, and, and I was scared to do that. I'll have to give Rob credit for that, Rob Devon, my consultant. Uh, you know, used to, it, it, I wouldn't even think about, in our area, planting a bean before April, April 15th. Uh, you know, we were worried about cold weather, germination, frost, and, and I was looking at a field today, Lane and I went by, and I've got a field where I had a few volunteer beans come up, and they're still not dead from the frost. Not, that that kind of opened my eyes today. I was in a meeting this past week in Decatur, Alabama, and they were talking about, you know, how the frost really don't hurt the bean as bad as you think. So all these things combined together made me this year we started planting april the 16th i mean uh, march the 16th and you know five years ago you couldn't have paid me to put a bean out there that early but we actually bought an additional planter last year so we can plant our beans around the same time we do our corn uh, you know all the data now and i know you've seen it too is showing you know that we probably should be planting beans at the same time or before our corn and it's made a believer out of me yeah, one of my concerns is the crop insurance date hasn't moved early enough, in my opinion. So, like in our area, the first crop insurance planting date for soybeans is over two weeks after the first date for corn. So, I, maybe that'll change in the future as more people plant earlier. Uh, hey, Matt, we got to run, you know, but oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that is uh, you. You're addressing something that we that is a big concern for me, and something that we really need to see if we could get change because. Because the trend now is planting probably two to three weeks earlier than when that date was set. Right. Yep, I agree 100%. All right, we've been talking to Matt Miles. If you're interested in what Matt's doing on his farm, you can go to extremeag.farm to learn more about that. Matt, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. You bet. All right, next on the show, we got Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how are you today? I am excellent, Brian. It's a beautiful day here in Iowa. 
All right. You say Iowa, and you know, right away when I think about Iowa, I'm thinking about good soybean production. So, what do you usually talk to farmers about when they're asking about tips for higher yields in beans? It's something that that um, really was noticeable this year, uh, as compared to some others, and, and it's you know, it's always seed to soil contact. But one of the things that, uh, like our germinator wheel, we've got that inner shoulder which creates that firm vein of soil right in the seed zone. You'll see a lot of these performance wheels will push soil together, but they don't firm it. They'll just kind of squeeze the air out. And in a, in a wet year, that's good enough. This year in a dry year, by firming that soil down to the seed and making that firm vein, had a couple of uh, activities. One is if you can get that firm vein down there, it helps to wick moisture up. If you've got loose soil around the seed, the moisture does not wick up to start those seeds like it would if you've got it in a firm zone. And that was a very interesting performance advantage that uh, our wheels created this year. Uh, dry conditions help to firm that seed, seed and soil down to the moisture ground below, allowed it to wick up and get those uh, seeds started. Yeah, we, uh, very yeah. positive component. Yeah, we planted soybeans just a little bit deeper than we normally do. I like to keep soybeans relatively shallow, inch, inch and a half deep. But we also want to plant to moisture or really close to moisture. And you bring up an excellent point. If you firm that ground appropriately, that moisture does come up in the soil a little bit. But yeah, seed to soil, seed to soil contact is huge, and it's much harder to do when that soil is relatively dry. Yes, yes, and. Uh, the dry soil, it's going to push together loose, and that's what you see with a lot of wheels. I've been uh, in a couple of uh, comparisons this spring going out digging uh, compared to some of our competition, and in every one we looked at and, and in some tests, uh, we were creating more of a firm zone, and uh, then the uh, implications of that, you come back and dig the next day, and that seed zone is moist then, and uh, gets those things started, and, and like you I ended up planting beans down to an inch and three quarters just yep. to get them closer to moisture. Yeah, it, it it's hard when for our entire lives we've always been taught, oh, keep the beans relatively shallow. But every once in a while you end up with a really dry spring like we had this last year, and you just have to make some adjustments. We've been talking to Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. If you want to learn more about what Tony is doing or that germinator closing wheel he was talking about, just go to farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Good talk to you, Brian. Have a great day. Yep, Bye. you too. All right, so again, we've been talking about tips for higher yields in soybeans, and I thought Tony brought up a great point. I mean, it really starts right at planting time. And I realize that soybean seed may not be as valuable as corn seed, but it's still pretty valuable. You look at what soybean seed costs, and if we can get every seed out of the ground, we're in much better shape. We want to try to get as even emergence as possible. And if you can, you want to have that good seed to soil contact that's going to give you a much better chance to have that good quick emergence, even in colder soils. All right, well, stay tuned. We'll continue talking about tips for higher yields in soybeans and other crops here on Ag PhD Radio.
it came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out CanDo Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting today from the Morton Studio, just talking a little about tips for higher yields in soybeans and other crops as well. Next on the show, we got Dean Grossnickel with us. He is with Syngenta down in Iowa. Hey, Dean, how are you today? I'm doing great, and yourself? Excellent. All right, so we're talking about tips for higher yields in beans. What do you have for us? What are the top few things that you usually talk to farmers and agronomists about? Well, really, when it comes to, you know, trying to grab those higher yields, you know, obviously uh, growers are planting earlier and earlier every year, especially in those soybeans. And with those planting earlier and and planting in those cooler, wetter temperatures, uh, you know, 
I always stress having a nice, strong seed treatment on those soybeans to get them up out of the ground relatively quickly so they're just not sitting in that cool, wet soil. So I always uh, stress a strong uh, seed treatment, uh, and usually once we get them out of the, the ground, you know, we could start photosynthesizing, get one more node on them uh, sooner than what uh, if we did not have a seed treatment on them. Hey, um, hey Dean, before be step, yeah, yeah, Dean, before you go any further, let let me just add one thing to that. When you talk about seed treatments, yeah. there are a lot of farmers that have been saying, "Oh, I got to cut back because everything's so high priced right now." But I realize the name of it is seed treatment, but it lasts in the plant for a long time. A lot of these seed treatments now, they're systemic. They're going to last for a couple of months. And so you get benefit for a long time, not just from planting until emergence. Well, that's right. That's right. And there's there's a couple of, you know, a couple different protections, right? We're getting them up out of the ground there. And then we also, you know, uh, you know, fusarium infects our soybeans early in the season. And yep. so um, if we use a nice, uh, you know, product like a Saltro to help with SDS protection, we're going to keep the SDS out of our fields uh, all year long, just like you said, you know, months down the road. Okay, so, so I cut you off. So, you said seed treatment first. What, what were you going to go to next? Next one is I always stress is you know we got to start clean and and uh, and you know making sure that uh, we have a great weed uh, weed control package out there, two pass type program especially as we uh, you know who knows what's going to happen in this. Um, uh, with our herbicides and that sort of thing. So I always stress a nice, strong pre-program, follow that up with that timely post, overlapping residuals, keep those weeds from competing with that crop, and, and we are going to, again, be able to maximize our yield on that. And then finally, you know, it's, it's talking about being proactive and keeping disease, out, disease and insects out of that, a nice uh, fungicide and or insecticide tag team along with that. Always does a very, very good job of adding adding extra bushels. Yeah, it's just you got to do a lot of scouting if you're going to pay attention to or are going to find when the insects are showing up. And for that matter, even when, when it comes to post-emerge herbicides, I a lot of times tell people the same thing you say, start clean, but then they'll ask, okay, well, what do I use post? And that's why where I say, yeah. well, scout the field. Tell me what you got coming, and then we'll decide. Because this year, I mean, there are some of these herbicides that are really expensive. I don't want to spend the money unless I have to. But by the same token, to your point, I got to keep that field clean if I'm going to have high yield. Well, and, and we're not going to have the chance for do-overs this year, right? So um, because of that, because of the high price and maybe limited supply in some areas, you know, we got to st start with our best foot forward, and, and that's with those uh, nice, strong residuals. Like you said, I, I want a grower saying, man, I'm out here spraying my post product and, and my, my residual, and I just don't see anything out here. That's great. That's the right timing, you know, and, and – um, it's uh, because there's there's small weeds out there that we don't see and and we don't get across there and if we're going after them when they're small we got the best opportunity for us to get get control of them and then get our residual activated for keeping that field clean all year long. Let me add a couple other things. A lot of farmers have been asking me, all right, do I even want to spend the money on Liberty? It's three times as much as last year, and it might be 30 bucks an acre by spring. And is dicamba even going to be labeled for sure all the way till the end of June? And I'm like, look, I don't know the answer for sure to either of those questions, kind of to your point. And I think where you're going with that is you got to have something out there with residual so then you you're not totally counting on that post product that may be either too expensive or not labeled by the time you can spray it. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and then also limiting the selection pressure on that post, right? You know, the more weeds yep. we have to go after that with that, that post, you know, there's just more opportunities for us to miss something. And we don't want to do that. Nope. So the, the, less, the fewer weeds we have out there to go after, the better off we're going to be. That's for sure. All right. We've been talking to Dean Grossnickel. He is with Syngenta in Iowa. Dean, thanks for the time today. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Yep. All right, next we got Jason Harmon on with us. He's from over in Indiana. He's with the Kelb Asgro as a technical agronomist. Jason, how are things going in Indiana today? Today is a beautiful day. I'd say the temperature is definitely different from what we're used to in the middle of December, but I'll take it. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. All right, uh, we also have some things that we're not used to when it comes to herbicides and, I mean, just all the kind of, I'd call it turmoil in the crop protection market. So we were just talking about weed control, diseases, insects, everything else. What do you have to add when it comes to tips for higher yields in soybeans, or where do you usually start when you're talking to farmers? You know, I kind of think of it as the season progresses. I mean, right now, this time of year, what are the farmers most interested in and, and what can they do now? And I think the first thing is I lean towards the fertility. You know, you got to look at your field separate, not just the whole farm approach. And if we're really going to capitalize on these market prices and the overall yield potential, let's go ahead and look and make sure our fertility is not going to be holding us up. All right. And, and, and in your that point with. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in your area in Indiana, what do do you usually see farmers running short in in fertility for soybeans? Uh, Potassium. Potassium seems to be one of those things I think has a limiting factor. And it comes down to, you know, how do we test? How do we know? What are we gauging from? And a lot of growers, we're we're doing great rotating. And and with your show especially, just we need to test more often, more frequently, and and do a year-to-year program instead of trying to do a two-row program because, what the corn will remove is maybe not exactly what we were expecting uh, a year ago. So that, that's why I think we need to just make sure we're out there doing the samples and seeing what we have for this year and make adjustments going forward. All right. Fertility was one. What's next? The next one is let's, let's get a good genetic. If we have a, if we have a soil that's going to provide us yield, we need to have the genetics that can also provide the yield. And in, in real honesty, you know, you think there's a lot out there today to look through. There's a lot of data siphoning through. I just think that um, in the ASGRO Extend Flex lineup, we are building on such a nice portfolio that we've had great results with in the history. I mean, it's building off the Roundup Ready 2s, then the Extend line. A lot of the lineages that we are using today backtrack to those, and we know how they perform. So not only are we getting yield, we're also getting strong agronomics. And when I say strong agronomics, I'm talking overall ratings against white mold, a very big thing across our area. Also, SDS, we've seen it come and go, but a lot of times I want to be prepared. And if I have genetics that can handle it, um, it helps me also packaging it with Levo. And then finally, um, you know, let's think about Phytophthora. We saw a lot of that the last two years with the way the moisture was. Do we have a, a soybean genetically that has good tolerances, but also will bring us the yield potential? All right, you mentioned ExtendFlex, and we were just talking about Liberty and Dicamba. Lots of concerns with that, so I'm assuming you're telling people the same thing we are. Start with a good residual up front, right? Yes, we got to start with some really good pre's. I mean, it, it's one of those things uh, we need to start clean, stay clean, and, and it comes down to using a program we may not be used to, but really work with your retail <laughs> locations to figure out what's the best fit for them. Yep. So that they can then have that tool if we need to. I mean, a lot of people are asking, do we, do I even need to worry about getting liberty? I say, well, it's a tool in the toolbox that you now have the advantage with, with the Extend Flex. 
or put dicamba, either one. But it's not a broad acre approach for the farm. It could just be field to field. Where's the pressure the worst? All right. Anything else you got for us today, Jason? What else are, are you thinking about when it comes to higher yielding beans? Yeah, I'm really looking at, you know, earlier planting soybeans. I think we've seen great results across the board that trying to get those soybeans out there earlier has showed us great advantage with just overall node opportunity and uh, gives us the end result of a, a strong, strong yielding soybean. So I'm trying to trying to see if we can get, you know, get going earlier. I think a lot of guys see the opportunity there, but we got to package it with a good seed treatment so that we're protecting in those more adverse, uh, adverse environments. And then the last thing is, is fungicides. I mean, this year was a big year for us where fungicides showed a great result. Um, due to how harvest logistics were, it was more wet than we're used to. Beans kind of were out there to the weather. And at the end of the day, you see such a stark difference from a guy that utilized a grower that utilized fungicides to their advantage, has a better quality soybean, and more yield at the end of the day. All right, great stuff. That's Jason Harmon with the Cowbaz Grill. Jason, thanks for the time today. All right, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You bet. All right, we'll talk just a little bit more about tips for higher-yielding soybeans and then get to your questions in the Ag PhD Bound Bag. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. I'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio, just talking about tips for higher yields in soybeans and other crops. So right before the break, Jason Harmon with the Cal Bass Girl said something that I have been saying a lot here this winter, that you may need to do something different than you normally do or use some products you might not normally use. And here, let me take that one step further. So I have been doing a lot of, of meetings with farmers and farm groups here just in the last three weeks and I've just said normally when I start a conversation with a farmer about their weed control program it'll go kind of like this well I used products a b and c last year and I don't know I was pretty happy with that so I think I'm going to do about the same thing this year and most of the decisions we make on the farm it feels like to me anyway as a longtime agronomist it's based off last year and it's mostly the same products. We do a lot of the same things. And, oh, we'll tweak this or that, make a couple little changes. But here's the problem. This year, some things went way up in price, and other things stayed relatively flat. We also have more issues with certain weeds than we did even three or four years ago. I, I think about both water hemp and kochia. That it feels to me like they're a lot worse on many farms. And so maybe it's time to make more of a drastic or dramatic change. So I was mentioning like Liberty's three times the price of last year and Roundup is as well. 2,4-D is at least two and a half times higher than last year. Atrazine is probably two, two and a half times higher than last year. So if you're normally going with those products and you look at the price, you're going to go, whoa, I don't know if I want to spend that kind of money. Maybe you should do something else. So just with Liberty, for example, already right now for the full rate, it's 25 bucks an acre by spring. Who knows? It might be 30. I was just telling some farmers yesterday, I said, for $30, I can buy like eight herbicides and I can do far better than one shot of no residual Liberty. Now, I'm not saying Liberty's a bad product. I'm not saying don't use Liberty. I'm simply saying, let's look at the dollars and cents that we want to spend, and let's try to figure out what else can we do for products to give us the same kind of response, yet maybe spend a little bit less, or get a better response and spend no more money than what some of these products cost right now. So... Long term, the price of Liberty is going down. The price of Roundup is going down. The price of you know some of these things that went way up, they're going down. But again, we got a whole bunch of things that are flat to only up just a little bit this year. So maybe it's time to look at some of those things. So I, I was talking to doing some, well, I was doing some training with agronomists last week, and I said this is the year you might want to start from scratch on all your recommendations. I don't care if we're talking fertility, we're talking weed control, insects, diseases, everything. There are so many things that changed. Let's just start from scratch and say, okay, we've got this problem. This is our number one problem. Let's try to figure out the very best ways and most inexpensive ways to get those things under control. So anyway, I just encourage you to think about that, whether we're talking about soybeans or any other crop. Spend a little bit more time 
talking to agronomists, doing your homework, and trying to figure out what's best for me on my farm. So like on our farm, I will just tell you this. I'm not going to spend $30 or even 25 on Liberty this year. I don't need to. We have most of our weeds under control. So instead of that, we're just going to go with some more residual herbicides. So we'll start with a three pre-program that we talk about all the time. That's a PPO, either Valor or Authority, plus Metribuzin, plus a yellow. So either trifluralin or Prowl if we were doing no-till stuff. Okay, so we start with the three pre's. That's ahead of time. And by the way, you could spray that in March. You could spray it super early. You could spray it a month before planting. Or you could work it in right before you plant, whatever. Uh, you got a lot of flexibility with that. But then early post, the one step that we haven't been doing a lot of that I've been talking a lot to people about here this fall and winter is that early post residual step. So whether it's you want to use Anthem Max or Warrant Ultra, or something like that. The point is you can get a Group 15 out there and a PPO, so you have two more modes of action that are effective on the weeds that you're after. And speaking of that, I would just say, when you are looking at herbicide, don't just get sold on, oh, this is three modes of action, and this is a good product. Well, are the, all three of those modes of action killing the number one weed on your farm? If you've got Let's just say it's water hamper kochia. Those weeds are Roundup resistant, they're ALS resistant, and they're also pretty tolerant to several different herbicide families. So you have to be fussy on stuff. And that's where we talk about like the three pre's. They are very effective, each one of them individually, on water hemp and kochia and some of those other small seeded broadleaves that are tough to control in soybeans. Anyway, a lot of times what happens is we as farmers get sold things by companies who want to sell stuff rather than getting things that are in our best interest. So I just make sure whoever you're buying product from that you ask them, look, this is my number one weed. I want every single herbicide we spray on the farm this year to help control that weed. If it won't do that, I'm cutting it. So just think about that. And, and go from there. I, I, I also want to add one last thing. I think every one of our guests today talked about early planting. And I'm a believer in early planting. My biggest problem is just I don't want to go in front of that first crop insurance date. Now, if you choose to, make sure you're talking to your crop insurance agent first. And who knows, maybe in the future, as more people plant early, they'll move the date up. But that's one of my biggest concerns. But anyway, when you plant into cold soils, I'm perfectly fine with planting into cold soils. But do a couple things for me. One, make sure the seed you're buying has a high cold germination test. Warm germination tests are run at 77 degrees. 77! Well, if you plant early, your soil temp is not going to be 77 degrees. It's probably going to be 50 if that. A lot of times we plant corn or beans on our farm and the soil temp's 40 or 45 degrees and I'm fine with it. But you got to have that high cold germ score, number one. And number two, you need to take some extra steps to make sure that seed can come out of the ground. So it's got a good chance. So in other words, we're talking about insects and diseases especially. So that means a better seed treatment, maybe some biologicals to help speed emergence, whatever you have to do. But just understand, you're going into a stressful environment when you're planting in cold soils. So give your seed a little extra help. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! So we have been doing Ag PhD radio for, I think, eight and a half years now, every day here on Sirius XM 147. Thank you for, uh, thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate that. But in all those years, 
We've gotten so many questions, so many emails from our listeners, but here is perhaps one of my favorite. This one is from Ross in Wisconsin. He says, hey guys, I have been a long-term fan of the show and wanted to send you guys some notes that my eight-year-old son took from a show a month or so ago. I was not watching the show, so this must have been our, our TV show. I was not watching the show at the time, but he took these notes all by himself, an eight-year-old. I was impressed and just wanted to share. We're proud farmers, and I'm happy to see the young generation interested. We will continue watching. Anyway, I, I looked through his son's notes that he took, and anyway, he even got he he came really close to spelling right uh, some of the big words, even like bifenthrin. And I don't think much about it because we talk about it all the time in agriculture, so I I don't really even give it a thought. But anyway, can you imagine an eight year old kid trying to spell? by fenthrin, for example, or some of the words, some of the terms that we use in agriculture, it's a lot. So anyway, I was super impressed, and that's that's pretty awesome. So anyway, Ross, uh, tell your son thanks for watching our show, and good luck in the future. And if he ever has any questions, or if you do as well, about farming, just let us know. We're always here to help. All right. Uh, let's see. Next, next one here. Hang on one second for me. I'm in, in the studio by myself today. My brother Darren's out doing some meetings with uh, with some farmers today. So just trying to sort through these questions by myself. I, I got a comment here. This one's from Steve. He says, I'm not a farmer, but I never miss the show. Steve, thanks a lot for that. We appreciate it. Um, I got a question from Shane. He's down in Nebraska. He says, I'm wondering about planting soybeans on ground that were, that was soybeans last year. With the rising cost of nitrogen, I'm considering changing some acres from corn to beans. What are some factors to consider when raising soybeans on ground that grew soybeans last year? Can I plant soybeans three years in a row on that ground to get back to my 50-50 rotation the following year? All right, Shane, those are fantastic questions. It goes right along with our topic today on tips for higher yields in soybeans. So I'll answer that coming up right after this here on Ag PhD Radio. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? 
That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. Right before the break, I was reading a question from Shane down in Nebraska. We will get to the answer on that in just a minute, but we wanted to jump to the phone lines. We've got Robert calling in from Illinois. Robert, how are things going for you today? Well, Brian, I'm getting a day off today from playing out in the mud and putting in tile. And uh, I've been aiming to call you for some time now with a, a Christmas suggestion for your tile crew. Let's uh, hear it. Based on... Um, yeah, I had participated or signed on and, and saw one of your tiling clinics. Sure. And I saw the guys working with uh, just regular spade and or a, a regular shovel. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, I felt sorry for them. Um, <laughs> uh, now, possibly uh, they have seen the light or whatever. But years ago, when we were first getting started in tiling, we were in southern Indiana uh, buying some equipment. And uh, a fellow had a shovel there that looked like it was only like half a shovel. And I said, uh, what is that? He said, well, we call it a crumbing shovel, but if you're going to be tiling, you got to have a shovel like that. There's just no way to do it. And like, I was so fascinated. So we went home and were able to find one. They can be difficult to find. The cheap shovels you might find at like a, a Home Depot or a box store, mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't made correctly, but... Uh, what we ended up, what's worked best for us, just take a regular shovel and trim it down to where it's about a four, four and a quarter to four and a half inches wide, mm -hmm. and then uh, weld a weld a peg on it up at the top so your foot doesn't slide off and bruise your ankle on on the side of it. But that is the greatest thing for working down in the mud, and it's very, it's probably helped me uh, maintain a, a fairly decent back for the last you know, 30 years, <laughs> or 30 plus. But, um, but the curvature is the critical thing. The, 
the, a regular shovel has got a curve. And, and I, I have a high regard for Randy Dowdy and David Hula in regard to their digging out in the field. But I don't, I basically don't take anything out in the field except one of these crumbing shovels. Tile spade. Yep, tile spade is usually what we call those. And yes, we actually do have those. I don't know why those aren't in our videos, but uh, yep, yeah, we we use tile spades. I feel a lot better for your crew knowing that they (laughs) they got the full fully equipped. You know, uh, Darren Darren a lot of times will walk fields carrying a tile spade because it's it's easier to get in the ground. But he likes just walking along and and poking that down as he goes because you can a lot of times feel compaction as you're walking across a farmer's field. So anyway, yeah, a lot of a lot of purposes with that thing. So, Robert, great well, suggestion. I, 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 I have enjoyed out, out in the field on occasion with uh, um, with Randy or David. They, they might get a 250-pound guy jumping up and down on, on top of a regular shovel. Yep. And uh, that's pretty good entertainment. But, uh, <laughs> right. but anyway, that's my, that was my Christmas suggestion for any Tyler out there that doesn't have a a, a tile shovel. So fantastic! Thanks okay. for the call, Robert. Appreciate it. Merry you, Christmas. You have a good day. You too. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Robert does bring up a good good point. If you are jumping on a shovel and you're a 250 pound guy and it's not going in the ground very well, that probably tells you you have a problem. The biggest issues we often will see when that's the case is low calcium and poor drainage and low organic matter. So take a look at your calcium levels first. You want to be at least 65%, if not 75% on a base saturation test. In terms of the drainage, if you've got any drainage issues, just get it fixed. Tile is tremendous for that, and then you're much less likely to be going on wet ground that compacts easily. And then in terms of organic matter, you always want to be trying to build your soil organic matter. Now, everybody's talking about climate change and everything. I mean, we as farmers are basically where they have to go. We're the ones that can sequester carbon by building soil organic matter. So when you do that, you might get a payment in the future because you're sequestering carbon, but then you're also going to be improving your ground and making your land more valuable. So anyway, all good things there. Okay, let's get back to Shane's question from Nebraska. He just asked about steps for higher yielding soybeans. And the first things, Shane, that I would think about when you're going to go beans on beans, because that was really his question. How, what, 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 what should he do when he's going beans on beans? I'm thinking an awful lot about variety selection. Because when you grow beans on beans, you're more likely to have soybean cyst nematode. You're more likely to have sudden death syndrome. You're more likely to have iron deficiency chlorosis, brown stem rot, and sclerotinia white mold. So make sure you're talking to your seed dealer on varieties that can handle going beans on beans. In terms of weed control, water, hemp, and kochia, a lot of times are the worst ones we face, but we can choke out weeds easier with crop canopy and corn, or even wheat for that matter. So if you're going to go beans on beans, you have to make sure you have a real good residual herbicide program, and just make sure if you are spraying posts that you're trying to kill the weeds when they're small because they're a lot easier to control. And then the last thing that we have seen a fair amount of in Nebraska is gallmage larvae. And that is more likely to happen where you have beans on beans or if you're in a neighboring field. So let's say you had beans in one field and you're right across the fence with a bean field this year, then that's, especially on those end rows, that's where you're most likely to have gallmage. So if that's a problem in your area, Thymet now is probably the answer. It's expensive, but Thymet is probably what you want to do at planting time. 
Usually, we're just talking about on the end rows, but boy, if you're raising beans on beans, especially for several years in a row, it could be across more of the field than just the end rows. Anyway, and then he's asking here, can I plant beans three years in a row? Well, yes, you can. Uh, there's... There, there's one farmer I'm thinking about in particular in Nebraska that we talk to every once in a while here on the show who has raised almost nothing but beans. I think it is nothing but beans for like 15 years now. You can be successful raising all soybeans if you want to. But again, I'm looking at drainage uh, like I always would with all these things. But I'm really looking at all these variety selection things, you know, for diseases, everything else my weed control, the gall midge, stuff like that. And then in terms of fertility, because I do get a lot of questions about that, if it's beans on beans, potassium, potassium, potassium. That is by far and away number one with soybeans. Okay, uh, next question here is from David from Kansas. He says, uh, <laughs> and he addressed this to my sister Janelle, who is running our controls for us today. She says, Janelle, can you have Brian look at these samples? Well, uh, David, right off the bat, thanks for that, uh, asking me instead of Darren. But anyway, he says, uh, what do you think our next steps should be here in correcting our high-sodium soils? Oh, he also adds, I know he will likely say just sell it, but we'd really like to fix it. Look, David, I looked at your, your soil test results that you have here, and where you say the yield is good, you're only at 0.8% sodium, and in the deeper tests, the six or 12-inch uh, deep tests, you're at 1.2% sodium. That's that's not bad at all. That's fine. In fact, that's almost what we'd shoot for. So you're in good shape there. The other one, though, your 0 to 6 is 5.5. Your 0 to 12 says 7.9% sodium. That has to be addressed. Now, David does say in here he pattern tiled at 25-foot spacing in that area, and he's been really addressing a lot of the fertility issues, and I can see that. So many of these fertility things are actually looking pretty good, like where it's the worst, where is the 5.5% sodium. The potassium is at 561 parts per million and 5.1% base saturation K. That's great. That's what we're after. Um, his zinc is 4.2. His phosphorus is 68 parts per million. Um, his manganese is good. His iron's good. His copper is 2.6. Boron's 2.2. A lot of these things are actually pretty good. So what do you do to reduce that sulfur level? The biggest thing I'm looking at is your calcium is only at 50%. So we want to get that calcium higher. I was just saying that a minute ago. If you have a hard soil, which a lot of times you do when you have excess sodium there, it just means your calcium's not high enough. So your pH is just a shade low there, not much. It's 5.8. Well, if you're in a drought year, then that actually could be higher. So a lot of times we figure, hey, if it was a drought year, you might be 0.2 to 0.5 higher than what you're actually reading. So if you put any lime out there, do very, very little. What I would put a lot of, though, is gypsum. And the reason why is because we want to turn that sodium into a salt. If you have the sodium plus the sulfur from gypsum, which would be sulfate, then you're going to form sodium sulfate. That's a salt that's leachable. Now that you have tile in that field, you're going to be able to start flushing more of that sodium out. So anyway, I wouldn't get super worried about this. It's not to the point where you have to sell it or anything, but you definitely want to be addressing this quickly because once you're at five, it's not that much further and you're going to have 
very little production out in that field. So get that address, try getting that down to 1% sodium at some point, and you should be in good shape. Thanks for the question, David. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. Appreciate the work you do. Thanks to all our guests and everybody who wrote in with questions today. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.